0: Welcome to Destiny. Now here's your host, Cliff Dunning. Hey, hey, it's March. It's March. It's March, March, March. Yeah, it's March 1st. And I hope you're doing well. I hope uh, wherever you're listening, it is uh, cozy. You know, you could be in your car. I have uh, people that email me and go, Cliff, you know, I drive a truck and I listen to you on my... uh, various, uh, uh, drives. And I'm like, great. I dig it. Some, you know, if you could really go back, I think there's over 500 programs. You can go back to 2014 (laughs) when I used earbuds and a iPhone mic as my recording equipment. That's how far, that's how limited I was. I wasn't I was kind of playing around a little bit way back then. And I was producing other people's shows. And so I launched Earth Ancients and Destiny. Well, I launched Earth Ancients first as kind of a quirky idea. And that's – I'm really – I'm serious about ancient civilizations. I think, you know, if you listen to that show regularly, you know that I I question history. I question – the current interpretation of history. Destiny arose out of my background as a conference producer for Whole Life Expo. San Francisco has always been the epicenter for weird, odd consciousness, drugs, new ways of living, new ways of thought. And so I was the program director for the biggest expo or conference having to do with all those kinds of things called Whole Life Expo. And so this this was way before the uh, power of the podcast, really before the internet was really functioning to the level it functions now with all these apps and, and programs. And God, now it's artificial intelligence. Have you guys been listening and seeing and reading some of the artificial intelligence? I played with it. Recently, and um, told it to, to write a uh, short synopsis on ancient history. And I posted it on the Facebook page. I was shocked. Now, this is the real freakness about artificial intelligence it takes contemporary thought and turns it into language. Or uh, I, I've seen it now where you can get an artificial voice to, to read back what it what it comprehends or, or wrote that's the huge problem with ai contemporary orthodox thinking it's like a wikipedia everyone thinks wikipedia is great wikipedia is very orthodox in its analysis and its look at theories hypothesis and it's very, it's very orthodox. And it's I, I find them putting down uh, and criticizing people like John Anthony West, Graham Hancock, Robert Schock. They get their little digs in. It's like I was reading today about Mars, and there's this one guy out there, his name is James Oberg. He was a consultant for NASA for years. He is now their barking dog. When anybody says anything and talks about anomalous discoveries on the moon on Mars or any other planets he pops up because he doesn't want you to think anything any way anyway out of the box if you begin thinking out, out of the box and going wait a minute this looks like ruins on Mars or wait a minute the rover on the moon picked up what looks like some kind of a building wait a minute wait no, he'll jump on right now. Go! No, oh, it's a trick of light. It is flares. It is the planet, the sun reflecting. <laughs> he goes out of his way, and the guy is a complete joke. He's he's become a joke, and I'll tell you why. You know, and I and I continue to support anomalies on Mars. I'm an anomalist, an anomalist, someone who has a special interest in exceptional cases well things that appear perhaps to be unusual that's an anomalous and that's what I I uh, I feast on that kind of material I feast on that data <laughs> I mean look I I have I'm a trained observer I'm an illustrator I was trained as an illustrator I'm an I'm an uh, amateur archaeologist I went to school actually I was going to be an anthropologist. You might wonder, hey, Cliff, why are you so interested in ancient history? Well, I was going to be an anthropologist, but I was so bored. I mean, I barely got through college. I was a terrible student. You know what? I, and I haven't told this to anybody. I got a scholarship at a high school. My grades were terrible. See, see my, I didn't care. I was rebelling against my father. There you go. <laughs> my dad passed away many years ago, so I won't. this won't come back to haunt me. My father was a teacher. He was a professor. He was a uh, college professor. He was a high school teacher. And I rebelled big time. He was an, oh, my God, talk about orthodoxy. So I rebelled. But I was uh, uh, fairly talented as a high school student, got a scholarship to uh, the Academy of Art College in San Francisco, after a year or two there, I transferred to the University of uh, Long Beach in Southern California, and I studied illustration and I studied um, animation. Oh, god, that's a whole program right there, animation. So, I've always, I've always been kind of a, a mav- maverick or uh, an anomalous, and so that's how I became a program director for Whole Life Expo. And so, destiny, God, that's kind of a I'm Spending a lot of time going in a big circle. Destiny came out because I wanted to pre- express more. And I knew there was a huge, huge database of up and coming, unique authors, research investigators, and even scientists in this uh, field of consciousness, metaphysics. I mean, listen to Destiny. I got. I have more content coming out of Destiny than I have uh, Earth Ancients, and I love Earth Ancients. My my book is coming along great. You're gonna love it, you guys. Uh, the Mayan controversy, and I, I've already talked to people like. <laughs> I've already talked to people like uh, uh, Ed, Ed, Doctor Ed Barnhart. He agrees with me. He agrees with me. <laughs> on, on, on my point, so we'll have to go on that later. But so, destiny came out of my frustration, uh, my w- wanting to bring up consciousness, to bring up the topics that I was uh, pr- uh, promoting as a program director in this massive uh, international conference called the Whole Life Expo. So, there you go. That's that's where that came from. And I really dig podcasting. I really enjoy I hope you're enjoying these programs, too. For the most part, the ratings I get on iTunes are very positive. And by the way, I would really appreciate it if you got onto iTunes and said, hey, Cliff, great job. We love it. Or Cliff, we like it, but, you know, hey, I've promised not to be political anymore. I don't. I'm not political. And I understand why some people have a problem with that, but. Leave a leave a review a, l- a review on iTunes. I, I would it would help it would help me uh, know that I'm doing a good job. So I'm doing something that you like, you know. And a lot of this is my interest. You know, I get we get Ruth on here, we get uh, uh, Mark, and we get uh, uh, some of the uh, people that we have on, like uh, Bruce Fenton in, in London, or Jim Dale, who's an archaeologist in Vermont. I get I take I hear from them. And I'll, I do want to hear from them and I do want to hear from you. And that's another point. If you are interested in a specific subject, send me an email. My email is EarthAncients, the number four, the letter U at gmail.com and go, Hey Cliff, I've been listening to this person or I read this book. I'd love to see him on your program. Because we're looking at tons of people. We book... 60 to 90 days in advance. That's how much material we have. And it's always changing. It's always fun. And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, welcome to podcasting. And that's my story in a nutshell. Hey, the program today is on magic. And when I say magic, the author... He's actually a philosopher. He's a guy named uh, Carl Abramson. He is from France. And he wrote a book called Source Magic, The Origins of Art, Science, and Culture. And what makes this book fascinating is that he gets into the shamanistic aspects of uh, evolution. And this is something that I'm always curious about. We've heard it from Graham. We've heard it from other people. Is that how... Have we evolved consciously? Is it simply that we took mushrooms, that we took uh, mind-altering plant medicines, and through our visions we moved to the next level? Is it panspermia? Now remember panspermia, Wick Ramsey's and uh, Milton and, and and others. Is it? is evolution placed upon us through cellular matter that is being sent to us by some uh, extremely old ancient billion year old civilization is our evolution manipulated do we have free will these are questions that a lot of cosmologists physicists quantum physicists are thinking about right now what is our how do how do we evolve is it natural selection where a branch of Homo sapiens sapiens dies off? Are we evolving right now? Is there a future hominin that we should start looking at? And so the program today is magic, but magic in the form of uh, so much more than making your life better, finding the love of your life, making money, uh hexing people. It's more about visioning. Uh, It's about prophecy. It's about metaphysics. And that's two things that we haven't talked enough about, which is metaphysical reality versus magical reality. They're kind of tied up together. Metaphysics is that you manifest what you want. Some people say, you create your own reality. And there's a lot of off-world types that say that. There's a lot of channeled entities that say that. I used to follow an entity called Lazarus, and he was like huge on you create your reality. And he had a whole bunch of tapes and a bunch of lessons. The, the issue is you can be as successful as you want by manipulating and creating your own reality. The problem is we got our past as children, and how we were raised, the influences in our world. And some people are like, I don't believe that crap. You don't create your own reality. It happens to you. Well, unfortunately, if that's your attitude, you're in trouble because having it happen to you means that you don't have free will, that it's just day after day, you wake up nine to five existence, you go to bed, you wake up again. And that is not a way to live. I of um of the belief, and you know, if you follow destiny, you know we got the vision boards where you're visioning how you want your life to go, how you want this month to go, how you want this year to go. I finished my uh, vision board um, late this year. I finished it in late January. So when we had Joyce on and uh, Joyce Schwartz in the beginning of January. Talking about our vision board, I finished mine later because I just got, got too busy. Just didn't have any time. So, uh, but that is a key. That's a manifestation. So I believe, as a manifestation, that we do create it, and it's it's important that we clear out the crap, the 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 negativity, the depression, the the influences that are not positive in our life and we we try to be as positive as possible and we program the vision board is one way to program you have all your images of what you want how you want it to come out and so forth and so on and you look at that every day a couple times a day and you think about it and hopefully that manifests into something in your reality so really into metaphysics today kind of strangely so the program today is source magic the origins of art science, and culture, and my guest is Carl Abramson. Interpreting modern and ancient occult and magic practices is a real big challenge. We've had a number of people on the program who have been using magic, who interpret magic. But my guest today actually delves in, I would call this new work shamanistic in many ways. My guest today is Carl Abramson. He is a writer, publisher. Uh, he calls himself a magico anthropologist. We're going to ask him about that in a minute. He's a filmmaker and also a photographer. He's a prolific author. And uh, the book we're talking about today is called Source Magic, The Origin of Art, Science, and Culture. And it's important to have authors like Carl on the program because I believe magic and the occult and even you can get into psychedelics today is a form of personal evolution, social evolution, this is where we begin to see the bits and pieces of what is coming, what has happened, uh, what has passed, what is going on now, and what the future holds for us. So, Carl, welcome to Destiny. Great to have you on the program.
1: Thank you very much. It's very, very nice to be here.
0: Would you call yourself a modern-day shaman?
1: Um. Wow, that's a very good question. Uh, I felt- I would say yes, Carl. I mean, I yeah, just, I, yeah, mean, I with,
0: without saying, Carl's taken ayahuasca today, and he has a a new <laughs> a new insight on what's going on. No, I would say that you and and in this new book, you're called Source Magic. You're actually presenting essays and articles that you've written, and I get this I get this sense that you're kind of dipping in and out of the past and the future. So what do you say?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that uh, the description could absolutely be, be correct in the sense that um, and this obsession I have, and I've had for a long time, of sort of taking in stuff that I find very, very interesting, and then in a way reformulating it or repackaging it, whatever, and present it to new people, for instance, new generations or new networks. Uh, and it's worked really well. Because I think I'm, I'm good at that. However, uh, on a personal level, um, in all of my magical, you know, occult explorations and, and the various schools and traditions and things, um, you, you come to a point when you realize that they're, they're pretty much all the same. They're just packaged in different ways. Uh, but as you said before, it's all about personal transformation, evolution, this kind of thing. And when you look at these things throughout history, then you realize that okay so what is it really about well it's about empowerment but it's also about insight you have to have insight into you know deeper facets deeper layers of your psyche and yourself how did people way back when uh, acquire this well we can get some clues from watching indigenous cultures uh, that exist and also archaeology and stuff like that and we have the this um archetype or gestalt of the shaman who is basically someone who goes who transcends the rational mind goes into a different uh, mind frame and comes back to to him or herself or to the little tribe or to the community with new information and then you can say what kind of information is that and how can we validate that how can we sort of know that it's the truth etc but those rational um, validation, Requirements—they're pretty new. We call them imp- empirical, empirical attitudes, empirical methods, etc. Yeah. Uh, but when it was culturally integrated to have this kind of uh, special person, almost like a profession or calling, to go on these journeys, um, you know, that was a different different thing. People trusted those uh, people as key people in the community for the survival of the community and the problems only arise much much later when the communities are too big and you have these things called greater philosophies or religions and you have priests that are the only ones allowed to sort of Uh, interpret the information that might not be original, genuine information coming from personal trips anymore. It could just be something written in a book, the book, uh, the big, you know, serious thing that you have to worship and obey. And then it's already uh, become something else. And then, of course, there are other aspects of the, sh- of the shamanic, uh, gestalt. You know, the, you have the creative aspect. You have the artistic aspect. You have the, what you call the proto-scientific aspect, uh, finding new things out. And I believe that since, like our genetics in general, we have our instincts, survival instinct, and, uh, abilities that, you know, we inherit from previous generations. Um, uh, I believe that, um, what i call uh, magic uh, is basically a part of our survival instinct we uh, have inherited and carry on genetically this thing of needing to transcend needing to go beyond the rational mind to find like a direct link to um, knowledge Uh, you know and it's kind of a uh hard, usually, for empirical minds to say that, you know, this is not pure epistemology. Knowledge needs to be verified, la da da and all of these sort of logical, um, Western logical um, mind frames. And I usually reply then that, you know, the very foundation of empiricism, of the empirical method, is actually something incredibly irrational, and that's speculation. Are you all saying the, the idea-
0: scientific method isn't valid anymore?
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I well, have a problem with
0: course. that all the time, and I totally know yeah. what you're
1: saying. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it of course it is. But the the foundation of the em- empiricism is speculation. You know, right. it always begins with a kooky idea. Some scientist says, what if? You know, What yeah. if I mix and match these things? What will happen then? And most of the time, it will fail. And they won't know that until they've tried it empirically. But still, the very foundation of the method is irrational speculation. So there you have it in so many facets uh, of human life and human endeavor, uh, the need to go beyond the rational mind. Um, and so I have done that. I have been through, you know, shamanic journeys and psychedelic journeys and been on this magical trip for, for well over 30 years. And, and, um, it's filled my life with a lot of joy and excitement and meaning. So in a sense, getting back to, to answering your question. Yeah. I, I probably would say that I'm a shaman of sorts. Uh, this personal vocation. That I have to go beyond, but also in a way to present material that I have perhaps acquired or reinterpreted or um, had new insights about, connecting the dots basically and presenting it to my little community. So, in that sense, yes.
0: Yeah, I I totally see you as an interpreter of the the old wisdoms, the ancient magic uh, of, of our ancestors, and you know some of the new uh, thought. Providers and they're not too new. People like Carl Jung and Rudolf Steiner and and these other uh, people who wrote about uh, other dimensions, other realities of perception. And I think that especially in the Western culture, we are too locked into uh, immediate sensibilities and not looking at uh, our ancestors. and And I'd like to talk a little bit now. About how you interpret magic, and if you're using magic at any state, and uh, with within that, uh, I'm really curious to know what your fa- what your definition of magic is. Because we can get into love potions, we can get into uh, uh, prophecy, we can get into a whole different sub. Division or definition of magic. So I'm giving you a lot to define there, but <laughs> take it, Thank take you. it one step at a time there.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I think, um, um, being a magical anthropologist and sort of writing about these, these things and phenomena for, and looking at them from various uh, perspectives, uh, I see that it's. Magic is something so incredibly central to human existence on an individual level and on a cultural level, and I mean that globally in all different kinds of cultures it's there then of course, the following question that you basically just asked you know what is it? you know how do you define it and I think that there have been many, many brave attempts uh, at defining what magic is, and I guess mostly the most well known one in the at least in the occult community uh from the 20th century was was uh, Alistair Crowley's definition he said that the, the you know magic is the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will you know mm-hmm. so they have a philosophy of will that he had i wouldn't say appropriated that he developed from Nietzsche of course and from Schopenhauer before him and you know many others also um, that's interesting because then you have then basically anything is magic that sort of manifests your will however i believe (laughs) that we need to have this sort of extra level this extra layer of you know the fantastic the amazing the transcendental um the mind boggling or the mind bending um and i I've given this so much thought and realizing that there are so many different definitions culturally, you know, from different eras uh, that I came up with something that is that it's basically a mind frame. Magic is a mind frame that allows for all the different definitions of it to pass through or coexist in a way, meaning you can have um, the, the rational, crass, stripped one that Crowley had that anything that manifests my will is magic. Or you could have the super trippy, a fantastic uh, fireworks psychedelic thing. Um, and then you could have the mundane one, which is like when two people are talking, uh, about a movie, for instance, and they say, whoa, that was so magical. You know, is that that's a definition that is so common, uh, and people know basically what it means. It means something that is out of the ordinary. Uh, And I believe that aspect has to be in there something that is simply uh, beyond the normal, beyond the rational. Um, And then, of course, you can look at it historically and see uh, what it has been in uh, implementation or application. It's been healing. It's been learning about the universe, sort of like a proto-astronomy or, you know, astrology, uh, mm-hmm. healing arts, uh, early medicine, um, uh, alchemy, early chemistry. You know, all of these things that we know as uh, empirical science that have helped us so much and created wonderful technologies, they all have their roots somewhere. And usually it's in, in uh, uh, some kind of occult soil that has maybe been Heretical, maybe it's been banned, maybe it's been too threatening to the powers that be, etc. Um, that's also interesting, and that's a process I call occulturation, where something goes from the occult and into the mainstream, and creates uh, either an occulture or a real culture, a real mainstream culture. Uh, so. In part, it's how we perceive and experience things. Wow, it's magical. But it's also what we do in life that transcends the norms. That is something that could be said to be uh, magical because it changes things. That's something that is uh, necessary in the equation. There needs to be a transcendence in the same sense from something old into something new, uh, the creation of something new. Um, and then culturally, how this has, um, you know, panned out or existed, it's basically uh, when it's culturally uh, approved, you know, then people can dance together, get ecstatic. We still do that in our culture, we, and, you know, even with getting drunk and stupid every weekend, because we have that need to transcend, you know? Yeah. And I think that maybe it's better to to, you know, smoke a joint than get plastered. By, by alcohol, you know, because at least you can giggle you know, and appreciate good music.
0: Yeah, or shift the
1: awareness rather than
0: getting <laughs> yeah, uh, that numb. Too. totally that numb. Too. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. So I think but that's another inherent need that we have, you know, to have this regular kind of touch with, with uh, ecstasy and I'm not talking about the drug, but this kind of ecstatic mind frame um, uh, alone or together to, to feel that community in ways that is not simply a dialogue. Uh, it's not simply rational, but, but uh, you know, uh, something else. And I think, I don't know, it's, it's just that wherever you look, I mean, these days we can see that thematically there's a lot of magic around in shows, in streaming TV series, in movies, in books, you know. And, and then the question, of course, is why, why is this? You know, is it just crass exploitation of something that people are interested in? But I think it's more than that right now because it goes – over the entire spectrum, you have it in sort of cheap mainstream culture, and you have it in highbrow settings with, you know, esoteric painters that are discussed and have huge shows that are very popular, like the Swedish uh, painter Hilma of Clint from from. Um, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean she's like a superstar, and in her time, no one uh, even knew that she existed, you know, and and uh, this the her show at the Guggenheim is the most popular they've ever had. You know that's just incredible, and she was just an old Swedish lady who who communicated with spirits, and they told her what to paint, basically, and she did it, and she was amazing, and it was way, way, way ahead of her uh, of the time, you know, ahead of the curve. Uh, but still, we have the highbrow stuff, we have the the lowbrow stuff, all of it in some way deals with magic or different, you know, states of mind, transcendences, and I believe I have found at least one you know crucial uh, central uh answer to why that is and again it has to do with our uh, survival instinct that we have in within us you know uh, even genetically so you're and, saying
0: and, uh, that so, uh, let me just interrupt you real quickly okay. so i, I want to get clear on this that that in your research you're finding that uh, a magical element is inherent in our species
1: yes Yes, and I mean that both from from the uh, sort of uh, the Crowleyan definition we discussed, you know, the manifestation of will. Will is very important, but it, there needs to be another dimension too that creates transcendence that can be achieved on your own, mm-hmm. uh, but historically it has been achieved together you know it's not you know usually there's one shaman going on a trip but for instance in dancing and revelry and all these traditional things that we have in different parts of the world that you do together that creates something out of the ordinary uh, Uh. you know Francis, yeah. okay. um, ecstatic shared, uh, communal, uh, experiences. That's basically, uh, one very, very important aspect of it. And again, to, to return to the survival instinct, uh, I think that, uh, a magical appreciation and an insight and an awareness that magic actually exists, uh, within us, uh, is part of our, our survival instinct. And how this works in, from my perspective is that the, well, let's call it the Western empirical uh, mind frame achieved a lot of great things, but the lifestyle that we have maintained around that mind frame um, of empiricism and, you know, using nature as a, um, I don't know, a pantry in a way uh, that is, ne- will never be depleted, <laughs> but it will be. Um, and I think we, have come to such a critical mass point in in uh, development of human culture that we need to reassess and see how can we do things differently. And then, you know, magic comes unlocking in our unconscious and says, whoa, these people are very interesting here in the jungle or this historical tribe. Oh, wow, maybe we shouldn't spray, you know, uh, these... Ca- poisonous chemicals on our vegetables you know just Mm. very basic things like that and it has been going on for a long time Uh, I would suspect you know this is pure speculation in my detective work uh, that it had something to do with kind of um, a shift you know some people call it the age of Aquarius Crowley Mm -hmm. called it the Aeon of Horus you know there are many things going on basically during the the, uh, 20th century there was a shift there That was necessary uh, because if we don't adhere to or listen to ourselves in that respect, then, then it's bye-bye. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. we're going to be extinct, and and it's unfathomable because we're sitting here, and we're you and I are talking to each other on two different continents in real time, and it's so amazing. We've achieved so much in terms of you know medicine, but at the same time there is a brutal war again on European soil. Yeah, uh, and and the, there's you know global warming and all kinds of stuff, pandemics, you know. So how do we cope with these things? Well, you can go complete escapist and just watch and not binge watch another series on tv or you could perhaps meditate and see where does knowledge come come from you know where can i learn more about myself and become a more you know active and happy and person who finds meaning in life well it's very simple uh, go to you know i wouldn't say go to the magic that's too vague but go to something that appeals to you on an intuitive level and it's really important that you begin with yourself. Otherwise, you'll become like some cult member of something that will end up in disaster. Someone selling you something, quick fixes of, of this or that. The main thing is just to, to uh, wake up you know, on an individual level. And that's something that's been so dominant, predominant in many spiritual um, teachings, you know, Gurdjieff yeah. or Steiner, mm-hmm. uh, these things that we're all asleep it feels to me though that we are waking up, and it's a kind of a rude awakening, a harsh awakening from a very sedate, <laughs> technicolor, you know, dreamscape of of carb carbohydrates and and. TV. But well,
0: when you say we're waking up, Carl, what do yeah. you? I mean, because we've had the new age movement of the sixties yeah. and seventies. Mm-hmm. There's some that are speculating that we are moving into more of a internalized view of ourselves, but yeah. less
1: less interactions. What are you seeing? I'm seeing that. And I'm seeing that as a, uh, again, uh, there is a wide spectrum of things offered in a way. And I think that's great because not everybody is attracted to, um, you know, uh, Zen Buddhism or this yeah. harsh, stern, self-discipline, uh, asceticism in a way. Uh, we are Western people. We like the senses. We like sensual stuff perhaps too much, but but still we do. And I mean that it's absolutely possible to be completely transcendent while still enjoying the body, enjoying sensual stuff. Uh, There is no contradiction. There's only contradiction coming from people who have something to sell, to say that this, what we sell is good, and that's what, Over there, that's just bad. Stay away from that. And we can see that, you know, in very draconian ways over the centuries and millennia even within, you know, monotheist uh, cultures. Um, But now I love this kind of spectrum. Uh, You can, you know, cock an eye on many of these things saying that it's too vague, it's too fluffy, it's too pastel, it's too new agey. But it doesn't matter if it gives some people that kind of lift Or, uh, you know, wake up call that's needed because Mm -hmm. essentially we are all in the same boat and it's both. Good and bad it 's very bad if people don 't wake up because <laughs> then they 'll just you know weigh down the vehicle and, and the boat will sink probably but it 's also great if more people wake up, which they according to me, can only do on an individual level yeah. and then they can see you know which direction sh- will I go to find other find the others mm. um, and and this kind of, this process for me is essentially magical this awakening process and this looking at yourself in the mirror in a way and looking at um life as not simply a passive journey but as an active journey in which you can if you're lucky diligent and determined find something called meaning that you find meaning in life and i, I can't really define it in in another way that's like better or more um or clearer than mm-hmm. that for me the the epitome or you know the um highest states of all spiritual and you know magical schools and traditions it's it's basically union individuation you know Mm -hmm. you take yourself seriously and you you transform yourself into a higher version of yourself a more a clearer more defined happy person and and why are we happy when we're like that well it's because we feel that it's meaningful you know, if you talk to mm-hmm. people in general, many of them will, will say that some things in my life are meaningful, but m- most aren't, you know. And mm-hmm. the the uh, challenge for a life, uh, an individual life, would then be to, you know, uh, create some meaning. Mm-hmm. Find some meaning, create some meaning, refine some meaning, and, and enjoy it. We're
0: going to take a short commercial break. And we will return with Carl Abramson speaking on his new book, Source Magic. We'll be right back. My guest today is author Carl Abramson, and Carl considers himself a magic anthropologist, someone who has studied various traditions throughout the world and has developed and written a new book called Source Magic. Talk a little bit about what you have discovered about the so-called hunters and gatherers or uh early civilizations and how they may have used magic. Uh, obviously, there's no writing. We do have petroglyphs with uh, images that look like schematic journeying, uh, and there's been a number of people who've written about those. But what have you discerned or perhaps discovered that was used as a form of magic
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's a very good question, also because we we uh, when we go backwards in time, backwards in culture, uh, we come to a point when there are no written records, so there are very few archaeological finds, etc. So beyond that, of course, everything is speculation. Uh, you know, uh, I might have had inner experiences where I have come across you know, scenes or vistas or or been given information from, you know, different realms of consciousness where, where I've been told that this is the case and this is how they did it. Of course, that has no, you know, real um, empirical meaning or it's not like a piece of evidence that I'm trying to sell to other people. However, if you look at it from the perspective of likelihood, you know, uh, people way back when they were very primitive they had no time to you know write sonnets and poems and they had to fight you know fight or flight yeah. uh, and you know oh there's a, there's a woman uh, i'm going to fuck her you know hope to to procreate uh, and avoid that lion over there <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. so in that sense it it's very uh, stripped and that we know for a fact that that those were the um i don't know um it's so the, harsh,
0: raw, the, raw, the raw
1: lifestyle
0: yeah, very, absolutely. Very raw.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then, <laughs> you know, okay, so... Also, they knew nothing except how to survive on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So, of course, darkness is terrifying. The stars are fascinating. You have the moon cycles, basically anything you can see. Uh, and then you have fire. Fire is very suggestive. So you have within the cave, like shadows and warmth and that safety kind of thing. The feeling of safety is connected to this visual, emotional experience that's almost like being in the movies, you know. Um, and the sounds of the the um, of nature in itself, you, where you have to learn: oh, is that a threatening sound, or is it a beautiful, friendly sound? So you have this sort of accumulation of raw data, uh, which is processed in the context of pure survival. Um, and then, of course, when you, for instance, that beautiful scene in Kubrick's uh, 2001, you know, when they. Find a tool or develop a tool, you know, like a, a piece of stick that you can hit someone over the head or yeah. defend yourself. That's the beginning of uh, real, real human evolution. You know, survival based on skill, on creativity, on uh, assessing your environment, of learning, taking in, and and you know, deducting things, uh, realizing that if I do like this. I will be eaten. If I do like this, I will kill them. You know, and that in itself is inherently magical because, it, you know, uh, is the beginning of a process that has made us who we are. Uh, and I think that for a long time, and here we, again, we're in speculative territory here, uh, but for a long time, I think this accumulation of raw data and how to apply it uh, was the magic then. Uh, okay. And I'm thinking specifically, you know, slightly later on, when you have slightly more advanced tribes and language, of course, is incredibly important, then you can share information. You know, here comes some people from another tribe and they can exchange information and say that we notice that it's like uh, 28 whatevers between the full moon and the full moon. You know, and then you have proto-science and those things can be uh, used in in basically... um Having a party, for instance, each full moon, because that's the brightest night. You can dance and feel safe. And then perhaps you'll uh, connect with, with someone to have sex with, meaning more than just procreation. It could be involving emotional aspects, the development of emotional intelligence, for instance. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a good question. We, we can't know. We can speculate. We can only know when we have real like evidence from those cultures. And then we can see what are these, you know, and even that is, is based on likelihood. This was likely a a drum or this was likely a pot for cooking, you know? Yeah. And then gradually becomes more like items that we feel affinity with that we can, you know, deduct and say, that's obviously a pot. That's, this is obviously a spear.
0: But isn't there artifacts that have a shamanic, kind of overtone to them that we have discovered that we speculate could be magical tools or uh, uh, lead the shaman, for lack of a better word, or yeah. leader of the group to uh, uh, work in other realms, either through mushrooms or through meditation or whatever. And that's kind of like the, the footprint for a ma- magical experience.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, while we're on that subject, I think uh, scientists only a couple of years ago um, came up with this, uh, you know, well-received theory that concerning the development of the human brain, you know, the size, but also how it's been used uh, early on, and that there was actually a kind of a quantum leap, of course, not overnight, but over a fairly short period of time, where there were distinct changes and that they they uh, there were uh, again speculations but very likely speculations that it had to do with si- is psilocybin that they had been oh, eating right. mushrooms yeah. and and that had helped you know the synapses to the synaptic speed to speed up you right. know the capacity to um to think, basically, and there, thereby make deductions and learn things. Uh, but again, you know, we can never be fully certain. But I do believe seeing that this kind of, again, transcendental or psychedelic uh experience has been so central, even in the shamanic cultures that we do know because they're still here you know people go to latin america to the amazon and and do the ayahuasca thing or go to to central america and southern us and go into the uh, indigenous population and do you know pot or these things um not necessarily for you know the drug aspect but to go on these trips that these people have been going on for Absolutely, thousands and thousands of years because they have their own documentation and it's been, you know, uh, moved along uh, orally and also written in written form and in other archaeological um, remains also. So, from that, we can deduce that it is a tradition much, much longer, and the inherent need to go beyond is uh, very important for us. Uh, and I think it's, you know, uh, today in our sphere, it's kind of depressing. You know, when we feel depressed, we get antidepressants. We don't get pro ecstatic stuff. (laughs) It's just something to, to nivellate and level things out instead of going for a really good peak that will, you know, teach us something about ourselves. Um, but that's, that's just, uh, how it is. And it's kind of sad. And I hope that that will change. It seems that kids, have always uh, been rebels. They've always been trying, you know, they want to try things out. They want to go on these kinds of trips, whether it's journeying physically or, or uh, you know, internally. Uh, but the problem is when you don't have a language and terminology or system to process these experiences in, in the main culture, uh, then it becomes, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, recreational. is something you go tripping on an, on a weekend, for instance, and then on Monday morning, you're back in school or at work, you know, being your old self. Although this trip was amazing. It was so cosmic. It changed my life, you know? And then of course, you look at your, your notes or scribbles from the trip and it's like gobbledygook, you know? <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. But, but at yeah. the time, it yeah. was it's so revealing. So, if, for instance, after each of those, uh, you know, experiences like uh, a coming of age ritual in a way, there were a terminology and someone uh, experienced that could help you process the information or, or the experience, then that would be a different story, you know. Then I think uh, it would be a completely different ballgame. Today we are like the proverbial uh, nails, you know, in the board, and if the nails, you know, stands out too much, there will be a hammer hammering down the nail so that everything mm-hmm. is even and and, and fine. Um, it makes for a very efficient culture, but it also makes for a very depressed culture.
0: Yeah. Uh, here in California, they're beginning and actually in Oregon too, the, the state above us, they're beginning to use microdosing of uh, DMT, LSD for various uh, mental states, which I find quite refreshing. Now, Unfortunately, we have to look at it on a federal level, which is nationwide. And yeah. there's a, this is where politics get involved. But you made a very good point of, uh, these, uh, uh psychedelics uh, breaking people out of their, uh, depressing <laughs> nine to five existences. And, uh, I think that's a form of magic too, isn't it? When you have an altered level of consciousness, would you say?
1: Oh, absolutely. That, that's, uh, I think it's a very important part. And again, not just, you know, simply for recreational purposes that it's cool to, you know, chill out or whatever, but this yeah. thing that you can, in these days, learn more about yourself and in a very sort of uh, deep and affecting way. That, of course, is magical because it has the power to transform you. And then, you know, the critics will say in the draconian governments, whatever, they will say that. Well, you know, this is not good because potentially this person will, you know, dissociate him or herself from, you know, the greater populace and, and and move in a different direction. However, I don't buy that. I don't believe it's true. I don't think it's everyone's will to be a rebel, you know, to be a Tim Leary kind of figure to, you know, drop out. Uh, I think a lot of people are genuinely uh, always interested in, you know, developing themselves evolving qualities they have um, and remove negative things like in a therapy therapeutic kind of way Uh, i don't think every you know i think most people are are kind of you know uh, this is safety in numbers you know you want to belong to a community but Mm -hmm. you want to know and learn more about yourself. And when you talk to your neighbors, you find well, it's exactly the same. You know, not everyone is an artist rebel. You know, some uh, satanic figure who who uh, wants to break free and provoke the the society. You know, those those forces are very important also to uh, provoke change. For instance, uh, however. I think if, uh, magic and this sort of, um, transcendental mind frame were more, uh, normalized, that it was okay to go on these trips and, 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 uh, uh, inner journeys, then I think people would be more, um, harmonious in the sense that that, you know, gnawing sense of frustration that you can't define would simply be gone because it's okay to explore. It could be like completely, you know, weekend based and not disturb the workspace. And you know, um, and I think people will be be uh, very interested in in that in in um, levels that don't rock their boat. Most yeah. people don't want their boats to be rocked.
0: Hmm. Carl, who are the modern magicians? Who are the cultural magicians that you see uh, influence? I, I and I, I say this. kind of reel you in a little bit because if i were to reach out and say uh elon musk is a is a magician in some ways his mindset is unique in pushing the envelope Mm -hmm. of what we can expect in the future with his spacex program yeah obviously tesla is one of the best-selling electric cars in the world yeah but is he a magician Uh, other than An influence is that the same spectrum. I'm interested in your definition. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I I think so, but I think he's not. He is definitely not fully individuated. He is a trickster figure, yes, Uh, (laughs) uh, and um, agent provocateur, as they say. You know, (laughs) uh, someone who likes to uh, push the envelope. But you know, there are many of those people who can, you know, make people, you know, pissed off or or, uh, agitate uh, communities, whatever. But he certainly has. uh, clout he has something to show for his position you know it's kind of ballsy to pay the astronomical sum of whatever it was 44 billion dollars to buy twitter you know um it's it's on on the surface it's insane but it's also insane to go into space (laughs) and that kind of thing but that's where we are culturally and technologically it's possible it's possible to have a network like twitter and then a thing is only worth so much as someone is willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. That's that's old commercial knowledge, you know. Uh, so I think that he's very, very interesting. I can, uh, for me, it's like 50 50. Uh, one day I'm uh, angry at him. One day I- I'm laughing with him, you know, because he is um, a clear cut figure that I think is needed. There's always a need, uh, not a clown, but a trickster. Yeah. You know, so- someone who uh really goes off on a tangent in very creative ways, industrious ways, uh almost genius ways in a way, but at the same time is seems to be uh no more, you know, <laughs> the it's like a, watching a child in a way, a child playing. And I, I, I like it. I like it. So, is he a magician? I would definitely say so. Uh, because he's intelligent and mature enough to have this sort of meta awareness of what's going on. Yet I do believe that he's not really in full control of it. And then there you have the childish thing. And yeah. for him, I think it would be co- uh, counterproductive uh, if he were. I think he should just stay how he is and, you know, do his thing. If, if you don't like him, then disconnect from Twitter. That's it. You know, don't buy a Tesla. Um, and, and, uh, as for other, you know, people, in our culture i would say the uh, the classic persona of the proxy like for instance the the rock star who goes into Uh, an ecstatic mind frame while performing, you know, that kind of godlike ecstasy on stage that can change people's mind frame when they look up at the stage, have this sort of uh, quasi divine experience of Mm. watching someone on fire in a way. Um, that's that's a kind of simple but necessary uh, proxy figure, you know, someone takes on the ecstasy for the crowd in a way, and the crowd has a little bit of it just enough. To make them happy or or, uh, find it interesting. I can't give give any good examples, but I mean, in terms of um, uh, classical examples, I guess, you know, Jim Morrison was one of those people. So musicians
0: Uh, who 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 develop and yeah uh,
1: performers and artists uh, who who provide something that is so out of the ordinary that people cannot not be affected by it and most people who who flock there they will go there like you know moths to the flame in a way to get a piece of that to get a piece of that specific uh, current. Yeah,
0: I think Uh, I, I, I for me it's it's asking you you know who are the modern magicians who. Not only influence people, but ha- help people transform. And of course, authors like yourself are, are hugely yeah. important, but for, th- for the growing, and this is an unfortunate situation for the people who don't read. Yeah. And there's a generation that just yeah. don't pick up books anymore, mm-hmm. who look to social media, who are neat, who are looking for an escape of reality. Is it just the fact that? we can offer a tiktok or we can offer a facebook i mean it's 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 kind of numbing in a way mm-hmm. but i'm just curious to get your sense of the new magic what mm-hmm. what is the new magic and how do you
1: define it and where is it yeah that yeah again super good question and and i just it came while you were uh, talking i, I this um uh, Old person <laughs> it wasn't that old, but you know Steve Jobs was also oh, one of yeah. those people, yeah, you know yeah. because I think uh, Apple computers they created the, the um, a universe of their own in a way that a lot of people are, are using uh, in in fairly intuitive ways, much more so than the the pc based thing, which is much more logical and regimented in a way in in its approach. Uh, as for you know where the magic lies today, I would say first of all. Um, if we look at our culture which is so uh, fragmented so technological uh, again so depressed i would say that even though it's it's um, nice and has a lot of potential i think the magic for us the biggest magic lies where it's always been and that's in nature proper Uh, and i'm saying you know you could have Wonderful experiences even in a park, but if you can get out into nature proper, the beach, the sea, the ocean, uh, mountains or in the forest, or again, even in the park, to connect with the soil, connect with the you know chlorophyllic saturation, the photosynthetic uh, process right. um, you know it can and with animals, hang out with animals, that kind of thing that is magical because it's nonverbal. It's non-intellectual, it's irrational, but it fills you with such, uh, I don't know, life force or what, you know, the, the Asian people call chi, you know, life force. Um, and that, of course, is true for people all over the world, but maybe perhaps especially for us, you know, left brain, technological, uh, hyper-rational, uh, efficiency junkies, Um to basically just go into nature and don 't bring technology <laughs> that 's a challenge for a lot of people oh my yeah, God. You know, for a fact yeah. that young people will say well i don't know if I dare go into this place without my phone. you know <laughs> what if something would happen? <laughs> what if I would fall on the grass here <laughs> yeah it's, so, it's a, so I think that's yeah. the thing but but also in terms of community and if we look at our our thing. Uh, I think a, a community building on social media can be very magical because the it's so swift it's immediate and you can also find people so easily and just you know toss out some keywords uh search for something you get immediate feedback uh about where to find these things and that has never happened before you know, in the tiny, tiny little tribe, you could do it. You knew who had the speciality, you know, the capacity to do this or this weapon or this music, whatever it was. But but uh, in today's, uh, you know, I don't know, if we're 8 billion people, you know, how can we know? Well, we can communicate online. And that, I think, is a magical potential, at least, to find the right people faster. Yeah. That yeah. that's always been the same, you know. This thing of processing things faster is a uh, uh, key to surviving. It, it's always been like that. Hmm. Talk about a book you wrote called "A Cult A Culture." Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I like the title, but what is it? What does that uh, uh, mean? And mm-hmm. what's the difference between that term and and magic?
1: Um... Well, they're certainly related. First of all, the, the book is very similar to uh the brand new one called that you talked about called Source Magic, Source Magic. in the sense that uh, it's an anthology of essays and lectures and and different things that I've written um that are not, you know, completely uh um Qua you know, going in different directions, but they are, there's a red thread there. And the red thread is always for me this word that you said, occulture, which is the title of a previous book. Uh, that, of course, is a mix of two words, occult and culture. Yeah. And we have seen it increasingly over these past decades, you know, how this has manifested, how it's sort of seeping into the uh, mainstream culture. And that, again, is a process I call occulturation. And that term is uh, kind of a twist of a a phenomenon in um, sociology and also normal anthropology called acculturation. And that's when simply something goes into another culture or another level of culture. Uh, And basically, when I talk about occulture, I don't necessarily mean the hocus-pocus stuff. You know, it doesn't have to do with alchemy. It doesn't have to do with uh, primitive experimental science or, or calling on the gods and things like that. It could also simply be things, phenomena, people who are literally in the dark. Because they're forgotten. It could be uh, composers or movie makers or authors that for some reason or other uh, never reached the level of fame uh, or or infamy that they wanted in life. Mm. So they are kind of occult because in Latin, occult means hidden. They're hidden away. And when you move something by occulturation into culture, then you create an occulture. That, again, doesn't necessarily have to be hocus-pocus. It could be also um, moving something or shining the light on something that needs to be seen in this day and age uh, in order to inspire people, in order to inform people. And I think um, one example of this in Source Magic, there's a chapter on on the British TV series called The Prisoner, I don't know if you've seen that, but it's an incredibly good uh, TV show. That it's kind of a fluke, you know. How yeah. the hell did this happen? Are you talking because about it's... the old
0: version of the prisoner or the new? The old one, one. yeah. Because the I, old I,
1: one I watched as a kid. It was that
0: balloon would kind yeah, of uh, rover, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh my god! What a great
1: series. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. And it's when you look at it again as an as an adult, and I've I've certainly done that many times. Yeah. And it's just like, how did this happen? Well, there was the sort of a like uh, <laughs> a, a, a time slot open. Yeah. I would say probably because of LSD in general culture, that so many crazy things uh managed to seep through, you know, censorship and uh and th- this T V series is not completely occult, it's not completely forgotten, it's kind of a cult series. However, I think that needs to be uh, lifted up one notch to talk about the things that they were talking about in the TV series and how it came to be uh, and why it's so popular still, not in the mainstream, but you know, with this cult following. Uh, and is it still relevant today? And yes, it is. It's almost like it carries prescience, you know, the prescient uh, oracular messages about uh, a society that monitors its uh, citizens. Uh, that they simply cannot escape you know we're all stuck in that little paranoid village
0: exactly uh as we come to to the close of our time carl what kind of magic are you practicing what what are you what are you
1: doing to enhance your your existence mm-hmm. that that's again w- I, <laughs> wonderful questions uh I used to be uh, involved in all kinds of experimental hocus pocus, meaning doing rituals, you know, calling in forces, and you know, uh, from different traditions and and uh, magical schools and structures. Uh, and I looked at that as going to school in a way. You go through things. You have curricula that you know not all of them appeal to me, but I still want to go through it to learn. Uh, and when I sort of came out of that um still being very interested but i felt that you know the greatest asset i have is me you know so i don't need anything external and that's when, when my mind frame also changed from you know there's this thing called uh well i don't know what it's called but it's, you either ascribe outer forces the powers to outer forces like you know gods or angels or demons or or whatever or you go psychological and say it, these are all just levels and facets of my own psyche that's where i'm at right now whereas before when i was younger i think i i did see some kind of you know objective truth to there being natural or supernatural forces that had you know character and identity maybe even um What I do today, uh, I am very blessed in the sense that I have, you know, I feel individuated. Uh, I work with what I love, you know, writing and specifically writing about these things. So it's kind of a meta existence. I write about magic, and that is my magic, and vice versa. Um, So I would say that a lot of lot of the magic, these feelings of transcendence, and also when I can say to myself or to my wife, because you know she has to listen to me. where I go, wow, this is so magical. And it could just be me connecting two banal dots in between two books, you know, that I'm writing about. Um but in terms of these extra things, we try to spend as much time as we can in nature proper. And even just, you know, walking the dog in the forest uh, fills me with such joy and, and the energy. So I think a lot of it has to do also with how you allocate your energy in your system. You know, yeah. it's, it's nice, you know, to, to watch some TV at times, but it's also very nice to be out in the forest. And then you sleep better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, so you this, make a, this, you make a very good point, and 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 I've always felt the the same way that when you are in nature and you're walking, and you are shutting off the technology, you're reconnecting with Gaia, the Earth. Yeah, yeah. There is a not only is there healing in that, there could be a, a form of magic in the rejuvenation that the body, the mind, oh, and the spirit. Oh, absolutely. Yet, in that practice of, of connecting with nature. So it's so interesting that you brought that back early uh, or you brought that up early in our discussion. Is this, uh, is this, uh, uh, force of Gaia and yeah. how it's important to connect to, and as you call it, live a good life uh, as a form of magic.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think that's it's these things, they, they sound banal, but I, I do believe, and this is a very Western point of view, that uh, um, I do believe that you have to be, you know, good to yourself because, be, before you can really be good to others. And, and you know, to go in all in on this sort of mass market altruism, you know, in the religious sense, it yeah. never really works out because, you know, there are still wars. There are still, you know, horrible things happening and oppression and, you know, draconian measures. However, uh, you, you see right away when someone is happy, you see when an individual has found meaning in his or her, life you know those people are not the shit disturbers those people are just happy you know (laughs) so if more people (laughs) if more people could do that and you know they mind their own business that's the best thing you know yeah Uh, and and uh, if people need help then they'll go help and they will get help back it's it's really simple
0: fantastic for those of you listening i I was just mentioning to call before we started that today february 21st is the release the official release of this new book source magic the origin of art science and and culture and when I say release that means that you can get it on Amazon you can get it on your other digital um book uh stores and I would think unless Carl says otherwise it's probably stocked at the stores now too right? that's right
1: yep that's right
0: okay so uh much success on that um how can people get a hold of you what's your give us your website?
1: Yeah the best best place uh, that takes you uh, there and you know further and also to me is simply carlabrahamson.com it's carl with a c abrahamson with two s's dot .com carlabrahamson.com mm-hmm. and from there you can go to my the films i've made and the books i've written and many many other things
0: yeah for those of you listening the um the website's excellent it's got a lot of great material on carl Carl also has a Facebook page, a Twitter page, and an Instagram page. Uh, they look like they're very easy to, to get a hold of. Uh, his name spelled yeah. out is the best way to, to uh, to, uh, to find him. Carl, as we conclude, what do you want people to get out of your book? I mean, it's a very, very uh, fun read simply because it's uh, articles, essays, and a mind trust or mind dump of you in different stages. <laughs> yeah, what are, yeah. What are you hoping that people get from the book?
1: Well, the, this thing, information in itself, I do want people to check out the things that I've become enthusiastic about, you know, whether it's an old TV series or experimental film or some heavy duty magic. Uh, but the main thing is that I hope that they will be inspired by my, by my enthusiasm Cause I really love these things and I love conveying it to other people. And I hope that sort of uh, is infectious in a way that they can take away that spirit and use it, you know, for their own, in their own research or in their own lives. Just a uh, uh, very, I hope a life affirming spirit. There's always stuff to discover and there's always, you know, there are always dots to connect. That's really what I'm about.
0: I love it. Fantastic. Hey, much success on this book. It was a pleasure speaking with you and uh, I'm going to dig in a little deeper. I only kind of glazed through it, but what I, what I did read was, was, was fun. I enjoyed it.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. And you know, until the next time.
0: I want to correct myself. I mentioned that uh, Carl was from, France, but he's actually from Sweden. He's in Stockholm, Sweden, and um, fun speaking with him. Very intelligent guy, very philosophical, and uh, well-spoken on this topic. So I'm going to have him back in the future. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I thought it was fun. Hey, we are going to be in Mexico in uh, November with Dr. Edwin Barnhard and you've probably been listening to Earth Ancients and hearing what he is all about. He's a Mayanist in every sense of the word. What a pedigree he has working with Linda Sheely. I Linda Sheely is one of the foremost uh, Mayanists and she's written a number of books. She passed away a few years ago and I have mentioned her because although she is you know she's an orthodox Uh, archaeologist, Uh, she was an artist, and she saw the Maya as an artist, and she interpreted their work in a different vein, and much more open and free-spirited. And I appreciate her writing. I appreciate her work. And Ed's directly associated with her uh, because he was one of her students but also uh, a research uh, investigator like her, and so Ed is our host uh, on this tour. It's the ancient Maya of Tabasco and Chiapas. It's November 10th through the 17th of this year. And if you've ever wanted to do a fun tour, uh, come out and join us. It's very reasonably, reasonably priced. We're going to head first to Veracruz, Mexico, uh, to go to the land of the Olmec. And we'll go to La Venta which is noted not only for its amazing sculptures, but also for whatever uh, few ruins we have from the Olmec. That's a a, a very old place. And then there's another indoor museum that's quite fun to look at too. So we start there, and then the next day we get on a bus and we drive a few miles to Chiapas, and we go to Palenque. And I've been wanting to go to... Palenque for many, many years, and uh, if you've been listening to Earth Ancients, Ed actually did one of the most comprehensive surveys of that city, and we're going to hear, in his own words, what he discovered, as well as seeing and experiencing the temples, the pyramids, and the buildings, including the massive palace that is on that location. So that's just one Our two days, we'll be spending seven days in Chiapas and looking at some other sites. Very new to me, but he has selected some locations that are rich with history, but also with the tapestry, with the uh, wonderful engineering and pyramids of the ancient Maya. For more information, come out and join us. Go to earthancients.com forward slash tours, uh, we're only about halfway full, but I want to remind people now, if you're you know, planning a vacation, consider coming out with uh, Earth Ancients Tours. We're all about the experience, and so the tours are experiential. In other words, you're not sitting and looking at pyramids, you're climbing pyramids, you're walking in and through temples. I'll have a uh, Meter with me so we can measure whatever electromagnetic or geomagnetic energy is flowing through these buildings. And in places where we really get a good reading, we'll sit and do a little meditation. If you're not into meditation, all you got to do is close your eyes and you are transformed. (laughs) And I laugh a little bit because some people I bring and they're like, I've never experienced this before, but (laughs) I'll tell you, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to do. EarthAncients.com. Forward slash tours. Hey, I might have mentioned that we are a sponsor of probably the largest and best uh, program for ancient civilizations, uh, off world types, new science and wisdom. It's called Contact in the Desert. It's happening June 2nd to the 4th in the Palm Desert. You got to fly into Palm Springs. It is an amazing tour. It's an amazing conference. It includes Graham Hancock, Linda Moulton Howe, about 70 unique speakers. And, you know, A.V. Loeb's going to be there. It's going to be fun to hear what he has to say. Remember, he's going to be dredging the Pacific to find what is uh, down there, the remains of what he figures is a probe. Just hearing him live would be very interesting. So consider this uh Conference. For more information, go to contactinthedesert.com and consider attending. You know, if you're going to attend any conference, this is really the one to consider because not only is the uh, speaker lineup superb, but the grounds are very uh, accessible. There is one section where all the authors kind of get together and they have their own little tables. You can uh, have your book signed. And have a minute to speak with the the people who are there. I would do it just to come out and say hi to Graham. (laughs) It's always fun to talk to him. He's very, very accessible. All these people are very accessible, very friendly and forward. And uh, again, to get more information, go to contactinthedesert.com. And uh, you can register there. It's really uh, reasonably priced. Uh, You can get a quick flight. Into Palm Desert, some people fly into LAX and then rent a car and drive a couple of hours to Palm Springs, Palm Desert. Uh, I'm in Northern California. I'll be driving down, and we'll be interviewing. So, hey, if you're in the area, I'd love to speak with you. If you're at the conference, say say hi, and uh, love to say love to get an idea of what's going on with you. So, contactinthedesert.com, and we'll see you there. Hey, we got a new t-shirt that just came out, and it is designed by a well-known Indonesian artist. He's actually an illustrator who specializes in t-shirts. This new t-shirt's called the, the Lemurian Court. It features the king and queen of Lamoria. Rich, rich color. You can see it if you go to Earth Ancients on Facebook, you'll see it there, or you can go And find it and order it directly at earthancients.com under products. We have a whole products page there. This is really cool because it's coming up on springs. Weather's getting warmer. And t-shirts are are very comfortable when it gets warm. You can have a black t-shirt or a white t-shirt. There's a number of designs there. But this new Lemurian couple, the king and queen of Lemuria, is very, very Cool. It looks really nice on a black t shirt. And uh, check it out, earthancients.com under products. And uh, for the next couple of weeks, you can get a t shirt for as low as 16 bucks. So check that out. All right. Hey, that's it for this program. I want to thank my guest today, uh, Carl Abramson, coming to us from Sweden. As always, the team of Ruth Thomas, Mark Foster, and everyone else who makes this thing happen. You guys rock! Yeah, you do. All right, take care, be well, and we will talk to you next time.